Hello everybody and a very warm welcome to a new episode of Good Governance in the Context of Crisis. Governance and the Middle East. Is that at all possible? The word governance in the Middle East is often taken to be synonymous with political governance or democratization. And democratization is a very, very sensitive topic in the region. While applying good governance politically is difficult, I believe the region might be open to alternative approaches, especially if it benefits the countries economically and politically. So today, I will be speaking about corporate governance in the region and not about political governance. In the last episode, we have already stated that corporate governance refers to how companies are owned, operated and overseen. And I believe that corporate governance is critical to the stability of the Middle East in the future, considering that many major problems in the region are economic problems. Alan Shabani, CEO of Majid Al-Futaim, has identified two major economic issues for the region. And he spoke about that during a discussion at the World Economic Forum in January 2019. Let's hear what he's got to say. The reality is, when we talk about the Arab world, when we talk about entrepreneurship, startups, or just corporate business, our biggest problems are two things. One, it's scale. And two, is global relevance and competitiveness. And if we want to promote innovation, if we want to really promote growth, we need a market. We need to give our youth a market. We need to give people that want to invest in the Arab world a market. And we need to give ourselves a market. And short of that, we'll never have the San Francisco or the Palo Alto or the, or the whatever that exists elsewhere. Silicon Valley exists not because people that are born in that part of the world are born smarter, simply because they have a good education system and they also have a market. So scale, global relevance and competitiveness are two major problems for the region. Obviously, achieving any kind of progress in these economic domains also depends on the stability of the region. And it's not a secret that stability is something the people in the Middle East have been striving for. In the last 50 years, no region in the world has witnessed as many conflicts as the Middle East. And since the turn of the millennium, the region has accounted for 60% of all battle-related casualties worldwide. While the West has interpreted the uprisings during the Arab Spring, for instance, as region-wide calls for democracy, it is very likely that it was much more a movement against economic inequality. Internationally and in the Middle East, economic inequality has been rising. Let's look at some key indicators that illustrate that. For instance, the difference in profits between privately and publicly owned companies. In Egypt, under the leadership of Hosni Mubarak, for instance, companies that were associated with him and members of his government were earning profits that were 13 times higher than their competitors. In Tunisia, Companies that were associated with Ben Ali and his government were operating in specific sectors. The companies associated with him only accounted for 1% of the total number of companies operating in these sectors. But they accounted for more than 50% of the profits made in these sectors. To today, the private sector in the Middle East is comparatively weak. And more importantly, 41% of the private sector across the Middle Eastern states is owned by the respective governments and 26% by large and powerful families. Now, with big names like Saudi Aramco in mind, it does not come as a surprise that strategically important sectors like the oil and gas industry are mainly state-owned. However, the influence of governments and influential family reaches much further. 
Looking at the composition of stock markets in the region, for instance, we see that governments and government-related investment funds owned around 40% of the entire market capitalization in the region. Families come up for around 20%. Governments are also shareholders in 90% of the region's top 100 companies. We also have to remember, in order to foster stability and security, we have to create jobs. We have to open up for the private sector and give the opportunity to the private sector. All what we have to do, change the mindset, ease the regulation, and let the private sector work. What we are today, we are in a reactive part of the world where we are we're, we're, we're consumed with issues that are real, but they're not going to make a difference. The only difference is, I think, what Dubai has done, open up. Open up. That's what Alan Shabani thinks about this. A strong public sector obviously has advantages and disadvantages. And I personally believe that both sides of the argument have valid arguments. From a governance standpoint, however, this situation is blocking progress and innovation. The Middle Eastern startup sector, for instance, does not have a framework that supports innovation and growth. In fact, only Sub-Saharan Africa has a smaller percentage of startups in the world. Now, if the big companies and the state-owned companies have failed to create the number of jobs that matches the growing unemployment rates in the region, couldn't the startup sector be a way out of this misery? Unemployment most certainly is the biggest economic challenge the region is facing and especially the youth unemployment rates of up to 40%, are widely considered a major reason for young Arabs to demonstrate against their governments in the course of the Arab Spring. But how can that problem be tackled? According to Alan Shabani, private sector development is the only solution to that. The solutions to the Arab world will only come from the private sector. Put aside Saudi Arabia and the UAE, where actually the governments are have resources. There is no government in this part of the world, in our part of the world, that has the ability to deal with its own issues on its own. It's the private sector and foreign direct investment from within the Arab world to within the Arab world. We export capital and we cannot invest enough in our own countries. In addition, the region must reform its educational system. The Middle East is generally divided in two sets of countries when it comes to education countries that are net exporters of talent and countries that are net importers of talent. Alan Bejani sees a development here. Countries that have been net importers of talent are very seriously working now on actually dealing the issue of employment of their nationals, which is absolutely the right thing to do. By opening up their economies, by modernizing their infrastructure, by putting in the framework and investing smartly in doing so. Those countries that are net exporters of talent are the ones that are actually okay, going to run out of time before they realize that their talent mm -hmm. that actually has be, uh, is a big source of, of uh, remittances, a big source of foreign currency coming to the country, a big help to their actually uh, current accounts and so on, are very soon, and in my opinion, in the coming five years, are going to live a new reality and it's going to be a very hard wake-up call because reforming the, the education takes a generation. Sure. These reforms, they have to be done, but they take time. The only solution is to run as fast as we can to create jobs in those countries. And by doing less, not by doing more. And by trusting the private sector. And I know it may be sometimes a bit counterintuitive, mm. but the solution will only come from there. And I think we only have three to five years. 
before we're going to realize that our, basically, our talent is not going to be as exportable because the market dynamics are changing. So what conclusion can we draw from such a yeah, short podcast on such a complex topic? Obviously, governance is a very, very sensitive topic in the Middle East. And even the extent to which corporate governance is sustainably applied in the region is still small. Corporate governance is important politically as well because the lacking application of corporate governance principles led to economic challenges in the past. A weak private sector development, corruption, economic inequalities and most importantly, the lacking capability to create jobs and to combat unemployment. While the social and political consequences might not be the only reasons for the lacking stability in the region, they most certainly contribute to the insatisfaction among the people. In a future episode, we will discuss some concrete strategies and policies that could be applied to approach the challenges of the Middle East today with experts who have gained hands-on insight on that topic. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Good Governance in the Context of Crisis. I wish you Happy Holiday, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year 2020. This is Martin Elkuri from the Good Governance Partnership. Take care and goodbye.